today is a question, which is, are you led by the Spirit? Um, Paul, in the book of Romans, is giving us the gospel. He's, it's all gospel, all talking about the law, all talking about where we are as people, who we are, our relationship with God. And now we come to the section of Scripture where in this letter where he's talking about life in the Spirit. Um, in verse 1 of this chapter, he says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He also says in verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In verse 10 he says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And then in verse 12, he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. And here's the text that we'll be reading and studying this morning, which is verses 13, 14, and 15. He says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So we see Paul says that there is no condemnation for who? For Christians. We are free from the threat of damnation, and we are set free to live a life of liberty in godliness. This means we are not in debt and we are not in bondage. We owe nothing to the flesh. We owe nothing to the the sinful nature that we have naturally. We are now sons of God. And if you are led by the Spirit, Scripture says that you will put to death the deeds of the flesh. It also says that you will submit to the Holy Spirit and you will trust in God. So, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Um, I think this is kind of one of those phrases that uh, R.C. Sproul calls it jargon. Um, you may have heard the, the term Christianese. Right, we use these words that sometimes they start to lose their meaning. It's just something that Christians say, but does it actually apply to what the Bible says whenever it says these words? And often, 
in today's culture, you'll see being led by the Spirit, that means you're praying for God to tell you, uh, you know, what college to go to, who should I marry, um, or even private revelation. God, show, like, show me, talk to me outside of Scripture. Lead me by your Spirit. But that is not what Scripture says when it means being led by the Spirit. Now, it is not saying that God doesn't direct us. God definitely does lead us. But when it comes to what is the will of God for your life, as many people use this term for, I think we can look to 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, it says this, This is the will of God, your sanctification. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives the, his Holy Spirit to you. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16, sorry if I'm going fast for you. Chapter 5, verse 16, he says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may the whole spirit, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. So what we see here in Scripture is that the will of God for you, what is the will of God for your life? Sanctification. It's holy living. Living a life holier and holier the longer you live. 1 Thessalonians and Romans, they complement each other. They're, they're parallel in this way that sanctification is a work of the Spirit. So being led by the Spirit is, in fact, God leading you in his will for your life. But his will for your life is sanctification. That is what he has revealed to us. So in verse 13, it says this, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So for those of you taking notes, let's say point number one is that the flesh leads to death, but life is found in the Spirit. Flesh leads to death, but life is found in the Spirit. Those who choose the flesh over God are choosing death. Christians are living by the Spirit, but we are not living by our own strength. Christians are not in debt to the flesh, and we have no obligation to it, as, as we have seen here. We don't owe it anything because we get life from the Spirit, not from the flesh. And it makes absolutely no sense to try to live by something that is dead. It's impossible. Here's the fact. As a human, you are born ungodly. And in order to become godly, in order to live a holy life, in order to live a life by the, for the will of God, your sanctification, you must come to God. You can't be godly without God. And this means that God must change 
what we love. He must change our desires and our affections. He must lead us into the right way to be. But as I said, naturally, as a human, we're born desiring worldly things. We're born as a slave to our flesh. Scripture says in Jeremiah 13, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may you also do good that are accustomed to doing evil. You can't change yourself. Only God can change you. And turn with me, please, to Galatians chapter 5. In the light of the fact that only God can change us, only life can bring life, God has to change us if there will be a change. We're told not to live according to the flesh. So what are the deeds of the flesh? Galatians 5 verse 16 tells us, The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 19, verses 19 through 24. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit... So that's, that's, that's the fruit of the flesh, sin. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So this is what living by the Spirit looks like. This is life in the Spirit. And if you will live according to the flesh, those sin, give in to those sinful desires, you will die. That's an absolute truth. There are no other options that Scripture gives us. There's either life or death. And if you choose the flesh, which is your own will, or as Paul is talking through Romans, relying on your own righteousness, trying to get to God your own way, you're choosing death. But, he says, if you live according to the Spirit, you will have life. And that's eternal life. You will be reconciled to God. Yes, you'll have, you'll have heaven at the end, but now you will have life. You'll become a son of God. You'll put to death the deeds of the flesh. And this is how you live according to the Spirit, by putting to death the deeds of the body. And this is what we call, you know, the big word, an uncommon word, or I guess two words that are super uncommon nowadays are mortification and sanctification. Mortify. The, you know, some of the uh, older translations say mortify. Here it's a, in the ESV it says, you know, put to death. This means, you know, like a mortician. It has to do with death, right? That you're, you're putting to death the sin that is in your life. Sanctification is the process of becoming holier and holier, living a holier life as you progress. So it is progressive. We talked about I'm sure you're aware of the concept of justification, where you're declared righteous in Christ in the eyes of God. You're declared righteous through the righteousness of Christ. So God sees you when, you when you're regenerate, when you're born again, when you become a Christian. He sees you as righteous. But it's not your own righteousness. It is the righteousness of Christ. It's a gift. 
Sanctification is that process that with the Holy Spirit working in us is working out, getting rid of that sin, that nature. It's fighting against our flesh and empowering us to do so. That is sanctification. That's what we speak of. So there's both of those things, justification and sanctification. So living by the flesh equals death. Living by the Spirit equals death as well. But it's not death to you. It's death to the deeds of the body. This is, this is, if you are a Christian now, this is your old life. right? Your, the old way in which you used to live. So the Holy Spirit is life to us through the righteousness of Christ. Um, but he is death to carnal living. He is death to living by the flesh. In Romans 6, you can turn there with me. Romans 6, verse 12. Should be just a couple pages back. Romans 6, verse 12 says this, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. It means holiness or, or good. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. So knowing that we are not under the law anymore, we are not in our flesh anymore, we have the righteousness of Christ, we live under grace. And that's how we present our bodies, is under grace, living for righteousness. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. There was a story of a young girl who had accepted Jesus, she had become a Christian, and she was at the church, and she was talking with the deacon, and she wanted to become a member of the local church. So he asked her, were you a sinner before you received Jesus into your life? And she said, yes. So he asked her, are you still a sinner? And she said, to tell you the truth, I feel I'm a greater sinner now more than ever. So the deacon asked her, what real change have you experienced? And she said, I don't quite know how to explain it except that I used to be a sinner running after sin, but now that I am saved, I am a sinner running from sin. And here's the difference. We hold those two things separate. Do we sin as Christians? Yes, unfortunately. But are we pursuing sin or are we pursuing holiness? That's the difference. When you pursue holiness, you are running from sin. You avoid it. You flee from it. And that's what the Christian life looks like. So how? what should you do? How do you apply this to your life? You mortify. You sanctify. 1 Corinthians 9 says to discipline your body, to keep it under control. And 1 John 1.8 says that if we say we do not have sins, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we recognize that there is sin, that we must change our lives through the power of the Spirit. Romans 8.29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he predestined, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So what do we seek after? We, can, we seek to be conformed to the image of Jesus. 
Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. So we, how do we act on this? We, we put to death those things. And in 1 Timothy 4, verses 6-8, through we, we're told that we should train ourselves for godliness. He says, Be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. Train yourself for godliness. So this isn't something that we passively do. We have the Spirit, but we work here. This is something that we must work for, that we must train ourselves in. And we learn that through the word of faith and good doctrine that we have. We learn that in Scripture. And this is also where practically the church and uh, the word come in, right? So whenever we see Jesus was tempted in the desert, what what did he use to, to battle that temptation? He used the word of God. He would say, it is written. And we see that multiple times, it is written, it is written. And the last time he says, be gone, Satan, for it is written. Jesus himself relied on the word of God. You should rely on the word of God. We rely on the word of God. And in James, it says, confess your sins to one another and that we should pray for one another. So this is where, as part of a church, we come here and we hear the word read, we hear the word taught, but then also we don't just leave and then have no part with anyone else here. We work together to live a holy life. We confess our sins to each other. That doesn't mean you have to get up here and tell everybody all of your sins, right? But you should have someone that you feel comfortable with, that you can go to. and Maybe it's your pastor. Maybe it's just another brother or sister in Christ that you can that you find trustworthy, that you think you can have this relationship with. You go to them and you say, this is what I'm struggling with. Or this is what I'm not struggling with. Pray for me that I do struggle with it. I'm just giving into it wholesale. I need prayer. Help me. Preach the word to me. That is how we, these are the ways that we get rid of sin in our life and live Holy. Verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So our second point is that the Spirit leads all God's children into holiness. The Spirit leads all God's children into holiness. And I'll clarify. In, in, in common language, we, we, people refer to all of humanity as the children of God. And that's sadly not the case. We're all, we all have God as our creator, but we do not all have God as our father. Only the children of God can call God father. Only the children of God have the spirit indwelling in them. We have been regenerated. We have been born again. We are now the children of God. And one of the many benefits of sonship is being led by the spirit to live a holy life. So we don't, we're no longer condemned. We no longer have fear of damnation, but we have the Spirit leading us into a holy life. And it says that sin is a slave master. It's a brutal slave master. The wages of sin are death. But the Spirit gives us the blessing of life. And so far we've seen that Christians are not in debt to the flesh. The Christians do not live by the flesh. The Christians do not put, or that they do put to death the deeds of the flesh. 
that Christians do live according to the Spirit and that Christians do have life through the Spirit. So what does this all add up to? This adds up to what verse 14 says, Christians are led by the Spirit. And what does that mean? It means all of the things that I've just said, that Christians aren't led by the flesh, but in debt to the flesh, we do not live according to the flesh. Being led by the Spirit means we put to death the deeds of the flesh, that we have life in the Spirit, and that we live through the Spirit. We live according to the Spirit. This is what the Spirit-led life looks like. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. And we don't live according to the flesh because all of the sons of God are led by and have life through the Spirit of God. So this is, these, these two words are, are synonymous. They're equal to each other. Being, are you led by the Spirit? It's the same thing as asking, are you a son of God? There's no distinction. There's no second-class sons or second-class Christians or non-sons. Either you are a son or you're not. Either you are led by the Spirit or you are not. And both of those things must be true at the same time. You don't have non-Spirit-led Believers. I'll give you three ways, at least, that the Spirit leads us. He gives us new life. He gives us, as Ezekiel says, a new heart God will give you, and a new spirit He will put within you. So the Spirit leads us by giving us a new nature. Secondly, He empowers us to do good works. Philippians 2.13 says, It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is God working in you. So this is a, this is a message of good news. I hope, hopefully I'm making that clear. I know I'm talking a lot about sin and death. This is a message of good news. And part of the reason it's a message of good news is because it is God who works in you, both to will, so to desire, to change your affections, and to work, so to do those things for his good pleasure. And thirdly, the Spirit grows that work in us. As we read, the fruits of the Spirit, just a moment ago. The, the work of the flesh, you just come by that naturally. But the fruit of the Spirit, that's it's not the fruit of you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of your flesh. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Where does that fruit come from? Where is it being supplied? The nutrition, the fruit, how is it growing? Where is it getting you know, the water, the soil, all of those things you think of natural fruit? Where does it come from? Where is the root? It's all the Spirit. Now, it's coming from you. We see the, that coming out of your life, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. This is the Spirit working in you. I know I'm being repetitive here, but it's, I think often we aren't, I'm not saying in this church, but in cultural Christianity, we're, we're not taught this. We're told Go live a good life, and then maybe God will like you. Then maybe God will accept you. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is, God's done the work for you. He saved you. He's given you the righteousness of Christ. And he expects you to live a holy life, but not under your, that not that under your own power either. You're going to live a holy life through him empowering you. Um, so how do we apply this to our life? What should you do? So first, we you know we um, 
We mortify. So now we submit. We're, we should be humble. This means acknowledging your need to fight your own flesh. It, it means acknowledging your need for God to help you. Your need to follow God. James 4, 6 and 7 says, He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you want grace from God, stop trying to do it under your own power. Submit to him. And it is one of those weird things where our nature thinks, if I want to impress God, i got to do it under my own power. Well, guess what? You're not going to impress God. You're a child of God. It says submit to God, and then he will give you grace. Ask for help. Psalm 19 says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes. Give me understanding. Admit to God that you're ignorant. You need to be taught. I don't know everything. I'm stupid. However you want to say that. I need you to teach me, God. It also says, make me go in the path of your commandments. Incline my heart unto your testimonies. Make me go. I'm incapable. Pray that. God, I'm incapable. Make me go in the way of your commandments. Give me new infections. Give me new affections. Incline my heart. I want new desires. I desire these old things. Change my heart. Because my ultimate desire is to follow you. And you submit to him humbly, come to him asking for help, asking for him to lead you. And verse 15 says, You do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So our last point for today is that the life and leadership of the spirit is freedom. The life and leadership of the spirit is freedom. If you are a Christian, God has adopted you. He has given the Spirit to you. He has given you eternal life. Your old life, your old way was death. It was slavery to the flesh, but your new life in Him is life, and it is a life of liberty. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And where is the Spirit of the Lord? If you are a Christian, He's living in you. He's empowering you. So where is their freedom? In you. You have freedom. God has given you freedom of sonship. So you've been given freedom. You've not been given slavery. You aren't supposed to go back into fear. You work under the love and affection of God who has saved you. You've been given adoption. And we can cry out to God, Father. We don't cower in fear of Him anymore. Don't cower in fear that we don't live up to his standards, that we weren't able to do it. We come to him as father because he has saved us. We come to him with the ability that a son has to come to a father. And when I say son, you know, remember the context and the time of when this letter of the Romans was written. Daughters would not have had privileges as sons did. So yeah, we can say we were children of God, and now... In today's time, we can think of that equally. At that time, to be a daughter of someone, you were not an heir of that person. 
If you were a son of that person, you were given full everything that they had. Everything that was theirs was then going to be yours. You had the privileges of all of that. The privileges of sonship were much different than the privileges of being a daughter. So whenever we say we have sonship, God has chosen us for that. Um, but not for the fear that goes along with the bondage to the flesh. And not for the weakness that goes along with your old ability to keep the law. Because you weren't able to keep the law. That's all gone. The fear of that is gone. You do not receive a spirit of fear. You do not receive a spirit of slavery. So don't fall back into fear. If you start feeling like God's not your father, that's a problem. So either you're not living in faith or you need to come to God and repent. You need to become a Christian. So 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So fear has to do with punishment. And what did Paul say in verse 1? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what do you have to be afraid of? If you are in Christ Jesus, there is nothing to fear. You did receive the spirit of adoption. So you should cry out to God. You should come to Him humbly. And Hebrews 4 actually says that let's approach God's throne with grace of grace with confidence. So you can come humbly, but you can come confidently, knowing that you're a son. And it says, so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So you are a son. You are a child of God. Act like one. Whenever you fall into fear, whenever you think, oh, I'm not going to, I can't do this. I failed. I can't live this way. And oftentimes that drives you more into, further into your own sin. That drives you away from a life of holiness and more into your flesh. Because all, you're making it all about you. I can't do this. I can't live by the law. God doesn't love me. That's sin. And it makes sin grow in your life. But having confidence and humbly coming to the Father saying, I couldn't do it, but you could, and you did. That's how a son approaches a father. There was a story of, of a pastor, of a missionary, who said that a new convert had come to him in deep distress. He said that no matter how much I pray, no matter how hard I try, I simply can't seem to be faithful to God. I think I'm losing my salvation. To which the pastor replied, Do you see this dog here? He is my dog. He is house trained. He never makes a mess. He's obedient. He's a pure delight to me. And out there in the kitchen, I have a son, a baby son. He makes a mess. He throws his food around. He fouls his clothes. He's a total mess. And any of you who have been around children you can identify. <laughs> but who is going to inherit my kingdom? Not my dog. My son is my heir. So in Christ, we are heirs of God. We get to inherit his benefits through the Son of God. We're not perfectly well-trained 
animals. We're messy little kids. Now, we mature. That's what sanctification is. You know, as we expect our children to. They grow up and they change, and we're raising our children to be adults, not to act like infants all of the time. And we grow in that through the help of God, through His empowerment, through His Spirit. And that this is His grace and His mercy on our life. So how do we apply this to our life? What should you do? Trust. Trust in God. Have faith while in that freedom that He has given you. Philippians 1.6 said, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. It doesn't say he who began a good work in you expects you to do everything from now on. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He will bring it to completion. He, You are his work from the time you're born again until the time you die and go to heaven. You are his workmanship. So what do we do then? As Christians, or as those who are not Christians, we all must go for the gospel. Romans 5 says, and you can turn there with me. Romans 5, verse 5. Romans 5, 5 says, Hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given to us. God's love has been poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit. And in verse 8, he says, God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And God shows us His love while we were still sinners. He died for us. So if you lack confidence or if you experience fear, it's because you're looking to your own flesh to save you. You're looking to the law. You're looking to your own righteousness, and that's not faith. Christians, sons of God, look to Jesus. He died for you, and we can see the love of God there. We can see the love of our Father and what He did. He sent Him. And the love of the Father is applied to us through the Holy Spirit. It says that He pours God's love into our hearts. We can see His love expressed in His actions. That when you were still a sinner, Jesus died for you. Not not when you were holy. Not when you were perfect. When you were a sinner. And actually, now, before you were ever even born, thousands of years before you were born, and then would then become a sinner, Christ died for you. God had a plan and His will for your life. And our, through His affection, through His love, we get new affections. We don't like the sin. We don't like the flesh. We get, through His love, we have love. And He says that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But in John 14, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So you love God. You will keep his commandments, but you have the helper 
that he has sent to you. So when you were born again and adopted as sons, you're now able, through his love, through your love, to cry out as Jesus did, Abba, Father. And he has done the work for you. Jesus lived and died, and now he lives again perfectly for your sake. We are told that he became sin who knew no sin. And now we have the righteousness of Jesus. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. He took our sin, we get his righteousness. And if, I know it's quiet in here, but if, this should make you happy. <laughs> this is a good news, right? There's bad news and this is the good news. The bad news is that we, in the flesh, we're condemned. We were under damnation, but as sons, as those who are adopted, we can call out with no fear of condemnation, with no fear of damnation, because He has secured it for us. He is our God who sent His Son to save us, and He is a God who sent His Spirit into us to keep us. That we can live a holy life. And that is what He has called us to do. And now we call out to Him. Abba, Father, help me. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, you do not have eternal life. You are subject to the punishment and condemnation and the damnation that comes along with that. 2 Corinthians 13 says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? If you test yourself and find that you don't meet the test, repent and believe. That is what God tells us to do. This is what Scripture tells us to do. To come to God. This is the only way to Him. It's the only way to eternal life. Not through your own power, but through His power. So are you led by the Spirit? You can test yourselves and ask these questions. Or does this apply to your life? The Holy Spirit leads you away from yourself. Do you feel the Spirit leading you away from yourself? Or are you drawn more and more and more to yourself, to your fleshly desires? The Holy Spirit leads us to Christ. Are you drawn to Christ? Are your affections for Him? Do you love Jesus? And the Holy Spirit leads you to holiness. So not just away from fleshly desires, but into new desires, into living holy into hating the old way, into loving the new way. Again, not, not living perfectly, but the desire to. The desire to live holy. Does this fit your life? Does this description fit your life? Are you being led by the Spirit? Is your affection and your desire for Christ and holy living, or is it for anything else? This is the test. If you are led by the Spirit, you will mortify, you will submit, and you will trust God. And there's no going back. No going back to the life of sin. There's no going back to a life 
of fear. We now look to God as our loving Father. And the Spirit testifies within us as He pours the love of God into our hearts. He testifies that that we have that assurance, that we are sons, that we don't need to fear. And He produces through that the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So if you are a Christian, you need to call out to God. If you are not a Christian, you need to call out to God. This is the only way. This is the path to holiness. This is the path to eternal life. Is that you're either in death, or you're either in life, and if you're in life, call out to Him as Father. This is being led by the Spirit. So are you led by the Spirit? This is the question to ask yourself, to test yourself. And you can consider that now. I pray that you will consider that in the coming week. Are you being led by the Spirit? Are you falling back into the way of fear and slavery? Are you relying on Him? Or are you relying on yourself? And when you find, as so often we do, as we try to rely on ourselves, we call out to God. We cry out, Abba, Father. And we can do this confidently and know that He is with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning again for your word that you have given us. We thank you that we don't have to rely on our feelings, that we don't have to rely on anything other than what you have given us because we have your perfect word and we have your spirit that we can have understanding and we have your spirit that we can live out what you expect us to live out. When we read these words that you have given us, that we don't have to read them fearfully, that we can read them in love, with new affections, and that we can, through your power, do them. I thank you again, Lord, for the opportunity of being here this morning. I thank you that um, as Christians, we know that we have a family wherever we go, and that we are a part of the same body that is being led by your Son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.